What's up, everybody? You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to the SBNY Podcast, whether you be listening on iTunes or Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, sportsblognewyork.com. Who knows where you're listening? Maybe you're a listener uh, of our new partner, Team Left Jab, uh, leftjaballnightboxing.com, on Blog Talk Radio, on Stitcher, on iTunes Apple Podcast. Maybe you're maybe you're a Team Left Jab Radio listener, and if you are, thank you as well for listening to this program. I understand that we're still pretty new to your network, but still very much appreciated. I just learned from our partners over there that we got some nice listeners coming from your direction. And to those listeners from the SBNY feed, uh, you may be thinking Team Left Jab, like that's boxing, that's UFC, that's stuff stuff of not our typical talking nature. But that doesn't matter because we're all here for the same reason. We're all here for some good quality sports talk, right? And, you know, the Team Left Jab radio network reached out to me. They were looking to add some more sports content, some specific New York sports content, and that's what we do here on the Sports Blog New York Radio. Not, wait, Sports Blog New York Radio. Sports Blog New York Podcast. You know, I'm, I'm combining it all, but that's quite all right because that's what we're doing here. We're all about the collaboration, all about the good conversation, and that's what we're here to do today as always. On today's podcast, we're going to be talking a lot about the NFL and the NBA. I'll probably give a quick shout to you know the World Series that just ended. Uh, shout out to the Red Sox, another another championship under their belt in the 21st century. Quite the impressive run they've had since 04, since the curse was lifted. I know Yankee fans, uh, they don't want to hear it. It kind of hurts. I know a lot of Yankee fans who have been sports radio blind since then, since the Yankees got knocked out. They don't want to hear it, and I understand it's tough when your team looks like they they fit the part to be a championship contender they don't quite make it it's got to it's got to break your heart and unfortunately i can't really i can't really feel that from my perspective you know rooting for a team like the new york giants rooting for a team like the new york knicks i i don't have that right now a new york mets yeah we have a new gm the new york mets brody van wagenen uh you know that is bringing up some good and some bad from the media and fans alike. So there's a lot to talk about. This is the absolute best time in sports, if you ask me. I mean, I love the time of year when it's like football playoffs and basketball's in the middle of the season. And obviously I love, you know, the NBA finals and the NBA playoffs. March Madness is incredible. But right now we have football every week. We have college football every week, which we don't talk about much here. We have fantasy football still in the swing. And NBA is really kicking off and starting to starting to pick up some speed. And obviously baseball just ended. So it's a great time in sports. And it's a great time to spend your your moments listening to here, the Sports Blog New York Podcast. So thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. A fantastic way to show your support, whether it be on Sports Blog New York Podcast or the Team Left Jab Radio Network. If you just go onto iTunes, drop in a little rating and review, tell us what you think. Or if you hit me on Twitter at Pete Kennedy with two Y's on the end, and just tell me what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of, you drop in your takes to me. I'm I'm more than likely to respond because I love interacting with you listeners. I really do. So let's get this thing started. We got some NFL talk, a little power ranking for you. We got some NBA talk, hop around the league. Shout out to the Red Sox. Shout out you. Stay tuned. Enjoy the show. are here sports block new york podcast p kennedy here as you heard in the little open we got going on over there uh a lot of sports going on man 
like I mentioned, the Open. A lot of stuff to be excited about. A lot of stuff, honestly, every night to kind of tune in, to keep your eye on, to keep a pulse on. And, and I know it's a lot. And, uh, man, with work and multi-jobs and trying to keep up with all these sports, it can get tough for you, for me, for everybody. So hopefully... If you are a sports fan like myself, if you're an NBA fan like myself, you've been able to balance yourself out a little bit. N- don't neglect the family too much, which can get hard. I know. Don't neglect the girlfriend, which can get hard. Right? But you're tuned in on Sundays, top to bottom, 1 o'clock slate, maybe even a little London game action, all the way into the nightcap. You know, you got Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, all the NBA in between. We had the World Series just ended. Man, it's a lot going on. So hopefully you've been enjoying it, and hopefully we here at the Sports Blog New York Podcast can help you get through it, learn a a thing or two, think about something maybe from a perspective you didn't think about before. That's what we try to do here. That's what I always try to do. I try to create a little conversation. I want you to listen to this podcast and think to yourself, like, oh, all right. I didn't think of that. That's a good point. Or maybe you think to yourself, all right, you idiot, what are you even talking about right now? Your new net Knicks team that you drafted last uh, last week on the podcast is trash. They're not a six seed. <laughs> they still stink because the Knicks and Nets stink. Uh, but it's fun. It's a fun conversation. We try to have a good time, keep it light, and also make you think a little bit, make you learn a thing or two. And that, that's what we shoot for here. And just talking about that podcast real quick from last week, yeah, Duffy and I, who, who may be joining me in a little bit, I'm not sure yet. I haven't heard from him. He, he was talking to me an hour or so ago. He said he's on on for tonight to talk hoop, but I don't know. He's not answering the phone. So we'll see if we hear from Duffy or not. But for now, it's just me riding solo. Um, but to talk about that Knicks-Nets draft pod that we did last week, which I had a great time talking about um, all the players here in New York that we get to see night in, night out. It was fun, but then what happened was the Knicks and Nets played each other just a few days later, and um, the guy I happened to hype up the most, probably, he didn't show up. Matter of fact, he did not show up. Karis LeVert is a guy in the Brooklyn Nets who, if you don't know, maybe now you know. He's had a fantastic start to the season. He's looked great scoring, facilitating, really looking like he could become a go-to guy of sorts. Maybe, maybe he's just a go-to guy on a team like the Nets. Maybe he wouldn't be on a playoff team. But nonetheless, a young guy who had some hype before college, beginning of college, dealt with some injuries, ended up falling in the draft, fell to a great place for him in Brooklyn where he can really take control. Uh, Even though he had a bad game against the Knicks, don't sleep on my man Karis LeVert. He's got some real talent. Um, And I expect some some good things for him coming throughout the season. I've actually seen some national coverage on my man Karis LeVert. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, you may have heard of him. He just did a podcast with the GM of the Nets, did a whole segment on Karis LeVert. The Ringer did a big uh, article, uh, and one of the main points was how Karis LeVert has started so hot. So if you don't trust me, maybe you'll trust them, but tune into a Nets game. They play a good brand of basketball. I know they got smoked by the Knicks the other day, which was very nice for me and my fellow Knicks fans, but check them out. They're, they're a worthy watch. They're a worthy cause for two hours of your Wednesday night or Thursday night or who knows what. And also... Um, on the New York Knicks real quick before I get into some football stuff. Man, they play a good brand of basketball, dude. I I, I don't want to hype them up. I know I'm very nervous all the time when I'm talking about the Knicks because I, I see them more than any other team. I watch a ton of basketball, but I watch the Knicks the most, obviously. And when you really get to know these players and you're trying to be positive, you can end, out, end up picking out their positives sometimes too much and you don't dwell on the negatives. Maybe it's a glass half full type thing. I don't know what it is, but... All I know is when I watch this Knicks team, there's a, there's an excitement that I have that I haven't had in years past. And 
you know what? You you may be listening to me if you listened in years past thinking, oh, I've heard you say this before. There's good young guys. There's guys worth watching. That wasn't really the case in the past. But it, it truly is the case right now. You can't tell me if you watched that Knicks-Nets game the other night that Mitchell Robinson didn't didn't make you sit up in your seat a little bit. That Mitchell Robinson on a couple of those big dunks on that alley-oop or that fast-break dunk didn't make you go, whoa, whoa, all right. Maybe that preseason hype wasn't just hype. Maybe this guy's got something. When you watch Frank Nielakina run the point guard, who, who would have thunk a guy we drafted to play point guard can play point guard? Right? It's crazy. I know. But you, you can't tell me that if you watch the Knicks this season so far, despite just the two wins, that you haven't been a little bit more excited. That you haven't felt a little juice with this team under David Fisdale. Tim Hardaway has been a good player by all metrics. And by all metrics, I mean advanced metrics actually have Tim Hardaway checked out as a positive player, which uh, unsurprisingly is not something that he's done in the past. Enos Cantor, come off the bench now, maybe a little weird for him. May not lead to great things down the road if he starts being a little bit, uh, you know, a little selfish. I don't know if that's too aggressive of a word, but he's still balling off the bench. Alonzo Trier, undrafted rookie, doing something, you know. It's a good thing to watch. And, and one last thing on Frank Nielakina. I mean, he got a couple starts at small forward to start the season. His defense still looked good. His offense was lagging. But in his two starts at point guard, the position we, we drafted him for, he's not only matched his career high once, but then scored right under his career high. In the next game, he's hit more threes in the past two games than he has in almost any games in his career. So... There's an aggression to his game and a confidence to his game that we have not seen before. And I just want to remind you all, and I might get to this again when I start talking about basketball later on, you got to remember with these young guys that even if they're going to show you flashes, there's going to be tons of moments where they're overwhelmed, where they're overmatched, and they're just not that productive. So when you can get glimpses of success, glimpses of confidence, you need to hold on to it. You need to have them build off of it. And that's the one thing I've loved about David Fisdale so much to this point is that he really wants these guys to build on their confidence, to build on their strengths, work on their weaknesses as they go. And and he, he wants to ride the hot hand. You know, I, I was always one who kind of was pulling for Jeff Hornacek. I don't know if it was just because I liked what he did in Phoenix. I liked him as a player back in the day. Chat up to my Utah Jazz. But I was always pulling for Jeff Hornacek. But the way it went down with Phil Jackson, he was kind of neutered from the start. He never really got comfortable. He never felt like he had free reign, could do what he wanted to do. Because once Phil was gone and Scott Perry was in, he knew he was coaching for his job because he wasn't Scott Perry's guy. So we didn't have the positive vibe of let's do this thing from the start. Let's let's play free. Let's play let's play this thing true and true and play our play our asses off. You never got that vibe from the Hornacek Knicks. And Fisdale has really given that to us so far this year. So I'm not trying to get too hyped. I'm not trying to say they're going to win a lot of games. But I am going to say that when I turn on MSG, or when they happen to be on a national um, a national game, which I think they have against the Pacers Wednesday night, uh, I'm excited to watch them. I'm excited to watch them compete. Because even in the game against the Warriors, game against the Bucks, where they lost by double-digit points, they still put multiple quarters together where they did positive things, and they looked like they could compete with some of the best teams in the league. Granted, those teams turned that up, and it wasn't close by the end. Nonetheless, there's things to be excited about, just not wins yet, and that's okay. But that's enough about the Knicks for right now. I want to talk about the NFL. So obviously, we're entering week nine here, and you know maybe I think week week six 
is when the separation truly starts. But by week eight, nine, ten, the separation becomes a little bit more real, right? So in week like three and four, you have teams like the Dolphins who are leading their division and knocking off a good team or two. Maybe even in week five or six when they knocked off the Bears. I forget what week it was. You're like, oh, this team has something something to give. But but then by week nine, when the Patriots are back on top, the Rams are still undefeated, the Saints haven't lost since week one, the Chargers are rolling, they've only lost to the best teams in the league, you really start to feel that separation. So what I want to do today is kind of just run through my top five teams in the NFL right now. And I know most people do power rankings with top 10, but I'm going to do a top five with some honorable mentions just because I find when you go 10, it gets a little bit too deep. I want to keep this thing a little tighter. I want to talk a little bit deeper about each of the teams I think are in the top because those are realistically the teams that have that true Super Bowl expectation or that true uh, Super Bowl ability, if you will. Because when you get down to like 10, you know, you can start including a team like, I don't know, maybe like the Bengals or... Maybe the Texans. Eh, the Texans are probably in there. Like, are the Redskins in that top 10? Probably, just by default. But are they a team that, come playoff times, you really feel has a legitimate chance to run the table and make it all the way to the Super Bowl? Sitting here going into Week 9, I don't feel that about some of those teams. So I will shout out teams like that. I will shout out the Seahawks later, for sure, because I think they've actually shocked some people, and it's been pretty impressive what they can do. But I want to talk about the likes of the Patriots, Rams, Chiefs, and et cetera. Okay? So I'm going to start at five, and I'm going to just work my way down, and then at the end I'm going to shout out a couple other teams. And the first team I want to talk about that I'm putting at number five in my power ranking is the Carolina Panthers, the Cam Newton-led Carolina Panthers. So when you when you look through the statistics of the NFL and you look at these quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, who's just racking up yards, who's racking up passing touchdowns. I mean, he actually snuck in a couple of running, running touchdowns of his own. You look at guys like him and Kirk Cousins, even Eli Manning, who, you know, <laughs> we don't have to say too much about at this very moment, but he's top five in the league in passing yards, right? So some of these traditional statistics can be a little bit misleading, a little bit off-putting, especially when you put him in consideration with a guy like Cam Newton, who's a former MVP, right? Because when I watch the Carolina Panthers, and, and I see at the end of the game some sometimes his statistics, they don't seem that impressive to me. But that's because he does so many things from an offensive standpoint that don't always look right for a quarterback comes come the box score. With his feet and his threat to run and his power on third down conversions or or second and short, fourth and short conversions, those things are almost unquantifiable. Because he, you know, it's it, it looks great when Blake Bortles splits that one forty five yard run uh, for every game he seems to get right. But when Cam Newton gets between eight to ten carries a game and four of them are really important three-yard runs, but they're first-down conversions on a big drive, they mean way more than what they could ever show in the box score. And I think even with a team that's semi-limited from a skill standpoint, their skill position players aren't that impressive, right? Christian McCaffrey's having a very solid year. He's obviously full of talent. But when you think about some of these other guys, I mean, Devin Funches is fine, but is he a number one on a lot of NFL teams? 
I mean, Curtis Samuel's athletic, and he's made some big plays, but who is he on a lot of teams other than a specialty guy? And you got the guy Moore, who's made some big plays. But what I see when I watch this Panthers team, and I haven't even mentioned their defense yet, is an innovation that works so perfectly with Cam Newton. It almost looks like he's back in a college offense. It almost looks like he is just getting absolutely fed to his strengths. He's getting funneled right into what he does absolutely best. It's the read option game. It's the RPO game with the quick passes, the quick screens. And then when he when he needs it, he can really push the ball down the field. And the number one thing I've loved about Cam Newton so far this year is he is throwing at an absolutely great completion percentage. When you think about Cam Newton as a passer in the pa- in the past, I mean, inaccuracy is is unfortunately one of the words that must come to mind. Because sometimes he'd throw it too hard for his own good. His touch wasn't just quite there. He'd force the ball into too tight a spot and throw interceptions. There was always just a little bit left on the table when you talk about Cam Newton's passing. But to this point, they've had a bye, so they're just 5-2. and two. They're not uh, um, up to as many games as everybody else. But when you talk about Cam Newton's passing so far, I mean, he's throwing over 65% completion. And yes, if you were curious, that is the highest mark in his career. I think that he is not the MVP to this point, but he is definitely an MVP candidate who may be underrated in that regard. Because he also has 400... Oh, sorry, I'm reading McCaffrey's style line. He has over 300 yards rushing, averaging five yards a carry. He has four rushing touchdowns. Those are the little types of things that when you look at it and you see it in, in a rushing context, it's like, eh, 300 yards, like what is it? Nothing crazy. Four touchdowns, yeah, you know, some people score touchdowns on the goal line. But for a quarterback to do that on top, on top of his... 66% completion percentage, his 13 passing touchdowns to only four interceptions. That is damn impressive. That is damn impressive. And when they basically just manhandled the Ravens this past week, I I, I left impressed. And now the spread for that game was a little bit off-putting. It, it gave a lot of respect to the Ravens, but the game was in Charlotte, and that defense was swallowing the Ravens. Cam Newton seemed very comfortable and confident. So I'm very comfortable, I am very happy to put the Carolina Panthers at number 5 in my power ranking to this point. The next team I want to talk about here, and when you get to this point here, I think the 5 spot is really the the most contentious, if you will. Because this top 4, depending how you break it down, it, it can be really uh, can be really debated, let's be honest, right? Like, if I told you that the Patriots were four, the Chiefs were four, the Rams were four, or the Saints were four, there's not a ton of arguments to be had other than maybe saying, that's ridiculous that you're putting an 8-0 Rams team fourth. They should be at least one or two, right? That seems about the only fair argument there. But when you're talking Chiefs, Patriots, Saints, and Rams, those must be the most bonafide, best teams in the league, and I don't think it's close. I think five, you argue the Panthers— you argue the Chargers, and then maybe if you're feeling really frisky and really confident in some of these other teams uh, for their for their future of the season, 
You can throw in a team like the Steelers, who have only gotten better as the year went on. You can throw in a team like the Ravens, despite their 500 record, because their defense is so strong. They have a coach and a quarterback who have been there before. But I don't think there's confidence in the Bengals. The Texans have come on strong, but I'm not quite ready to put them in that category. I think for number five, you're talking Chargers, you're talking Panthers, and that's about it. The Vikings have left a lot on the table. The Packers, outside of Aaron Rodgers, have looked like a very average team this year, at best. And do you really have a lot of faith in the Chicago Bears? Do you? I mean, I know their defense is this and that, and Khalil Mack has been this and that, and people were trying to say he was the MVP of the league for a while a couple weeks ago. I mean, no, he's he's just not. I'm sorry. A defensive player here on a 4-3 and three Bears team is not an MVP. Mitch Trubisky, he puts up some gaudy numbers every once in a while. He's not that great of a quarterback. He's fine. He has a very good system that is playing to his strengths at the moment. And granted, that's the whole game, right? That's it. That's it. If you can play to a quarterback's strength and make them look great and help them put up great numbers, good job all around, for sure. But when it comes time to play off script, to come in when in the fourth quarter and just put together a drive that you didn't expect, I'm looking at Phillip Rivers, I'm looking at Cam Newton, and I'm looking at Mahomes, Brady, Goff, Breeze, and then I'm even throwing Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins. I'm taking all those guys and put my money on them, and I'm leaving the Bears in the dust. I don't care what their defense does at this very point. I don't care. So when it comes to the top four teams in the league, you really start to have to split the hairs. I mean, it actually gets kind of tough, to be honest. But the team I'm going to go with first is, like I said, it may be controversial, it may be not, but I, I don't know how you can really argue too much here. I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, obviously, they have been very impressive. Their offense has been absolutely electric, so fun to watch. Mahomes is just awesome. Kareem Hunt is arguably more impressive, if not equally as impressive as what Mahomes has done, uh, in my opinion. I mean, is he going to hurdle another dude? Every, like, is he going to hurdle a guy every week and then continue for five more yards after contact? What Kareem Hunt has done for the Chiefs is really awesome. And Mahomes has been the big story. He's been the headline grabber. And he has been, in a lot of people's opinion, the MVP of the league to this point. I do not fully agree with that statement. I'm not going to argue it. I don't think he's not in the running. I think he's in that 2-3 range. I think he's right behind Mr. Todd Gurley up in the Rams. But I must remind you all what the Chiefs looked like last year. I must remind you all. Because I think we forgot, right? The way the Chiefs season ended last year put uh, put blinders on us. It really did. It fogged up our entire memory of what the Chiefs did from start to finish last year. Because at about week six or seven, just a week or two ago last season, people were legitimately saying that Alex Smith, Alex Smith was an MVP candidate. That's not a joke. That really was happening last year. I sat here on this very podcast and debated it with multiple people. And I was I was one of the suckers. I was on the side in week 5-6 when the Chiefs looked unstoppable, when they had crushed the Patriots, which the, the Chiefs didn't do this year, by the way. When they crushed the Patriots last year, and Alex Smith was was unstoppable, throwing the ball downfield. Kelsey was crushing it. Tyreek Hill burst in the scene. Kareem Hunt, possible rookie of the year. 
And then, uh, you know, the league caught up to him a little bit, right? The league caught up to him a little bit. And now if you listen to this podcast a couple weeks ago, I brought the same exact point up about the Chiefs. I said, people, you have to remember this, right? It's the same coach. It's the same system, kind of. I say kind of because Mahomes is a little bit more versatile than Alex Smith. Just a little, right? A little more than a little. But you get what I'm saying. But you have to remember these things about certain coaches, certain teams, and organizations with a lot of the same players. And the reason why I kind of don't believe Patrick Mahomes is the MVP at this point is because I, I don't feel as confident saying that this offense is completely reliant on him because we saw a quarterback do great things with this team for the past two years, Alex Smith. With this magnificent trio of skill players in Hunt, Kelsey, and Hill. Those guys are awesome. They are electric. Tyreek Hill used to be a deep threat. Uh, uh, in Jalen Ramsey's words, a kick returner, punt returner. He is truly one of the best receivers in the league at this point. Intermediate routes. His routes are as sharp as ever. His contested catching is as good as ever. And he's still one of the best deep threats in the league. Absolutely. Travis Kelsey is getting Gronk treatment. When you get Gronk treatment, that's respect right there. That is absolute respect. And honestly, who's been benefiting from the heavy focus on Hill and Kelsey has been Kareem Hunt these past two weeks. I think he's been fantastic. And obviously their defense, we got to talk about defense. It's a real thing, too. The Chiefs' defense has not been spectacular. In fact, they've given up their fair share of points and a whole lot of yards on the regular. In fact, they are the only division leader in the entire NFL. Yes, the only division leader in the entire NFL who has given up over 200 points. Now, granted, they have scored more points than any other team, almost to 300. They have 290. That's the most points in the league. Correct. But is that as sustainable as uh, it would also be thought of to be sustainable for their defense to continue to be vulnerable? I think so. What's more likely here? A little bit of a regression from their offense or for their defense to continue to be average at best, to be bend but don't break? That's hard to keep up. It's hard to keep up 290 points in eight weeks. So I'm putting the Chiefs at number four here because I remember what this team did last year. I remember how unbeatable they looked in the first half of the season. And then slowly but surely, the league caught up, figured out what they were doing a little bit. But uh, I started getting to this before, and I got a little distracted. I mentioned this to on the podcast a couple weeks ago. The difference between Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith is when shit hits the fan with Alex Smith, he leaves a lot on the table. He doesn't bring a lot of extra playmaking ability to do the incredible like Patrick Mahomes seems to be able to do. So when the league starts catching up, to the Chiefs a little bit, which is inevitable, if you ask me. Patriots did it a little bit a couple Sundays ago. I think Patrick Mahomes has that extra sauce to keep them in every game, to give them a chance to win every game. So I'm not giving up on the Chiefs. I'm not here to knock them. Like I said, we're splitting hairs here. And when I'm putting them fourth behind the Patriots, Saints, and Rams, in no particular order just yet, I'm remembering what happened in the past. But I am also keeping them in this mix and keeping them in this firm top four because Mahomes does have that extra sauce that Alex Smith didn't have. 
So when the play breaks down, when Andy Reid's offense gets caught up to a little bit, when the defense gives up 30 points, he has what it takes to carry them through with the help of Kareem Hunt, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill. They're absolutely electric to watch. They're super-duper fun. And I expect the best out of them for the coming weeks because if this happens again with an Andy Reid-led team, there has to be a common denominator here. And then all the Patrick Mahomes praise becomes, wait a minute, was this just another Andy Reid revelation? Or is Patrick Mahomes not as good as we thought? So I'm putting a little pause on the Chiefs here and keeping them at four behind some really good teams. But I think I just heard my man Duffy join the conversation. What's up, man? Hey, Pete, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Uh, Maybe, what, do you think you were going to sit this out until I finish the football talk? Uh, I was hoping to. Well, you can if you want. I just have a couple of other things to run through super quick. What I'm doing here, my man, on the Sports Blogging Your Podcast, John Gustafi just joining me, uh, is just running through the top five teams in the league. I wasn't going to do a full 10, not a full 10 power ranking, because when it comes down to it, there aren't 10 teams that have a chance to win the Super Bowl. Just not. A lot of people think the NFL is League of Parity. That's because every team comes into the year thinking, we can win the division. Yeah, we know we can get a wild card. Yeah, no, we're good. Don't worry about it. Oakland Raiders. Yeah, right. New York Giants. Yeah, right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. pe- people sell the NFL as a, the parity league, which is true to an extent, for sure, especially with the way you can flip year to year uh, from being 11-5 and five to 3-13. and 13. Shout out Giants again. But by week 8-9, it really becomes a little more clear of who the best teams are. So let me run through these last couple, couple ones real quick for you, Duff. At number three... I'm going with uh I'm going with the New England Patriots. And it's really hard to put them out of the top two, but when you're talking about these top four teams, you're splitting hairs, like I said. Tom Brady is Tom Brady. They're fantastic. There's something missing about their offense, and it was actually their defense that They're has... still looking to trade for a receiver. Oh, they're they're looking. They're definitely looking, but the trade deadline is also over, Duff. So, <laughs> oh, they were still looking to trade for a receiver. Their time is up in that front. But when it comes to the Patriots, the trust is left in them. The, the trust is left in Belichick and Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady and, and goddamn James White, man. James White, the, the receiving running back of the year, it just seems to just be forgotten about by every defense ever when he gets nine catches for 80 yards and a touchdown every week. I expect them to only get better in time. It happened again, Duff, where September came around and the Patriots lost a game or two, and it goes, oh, maybe the dynasty is closer to the end than we thought. Yet now they're rolling and they're beating teams. But when I watched them against the Bills, something was missing. There was a little spark missing. Uh, Thankfully, the Bills cannot score the ball. Um, And thankfully, Devin McCourty took his first interception return for a touchdown of his career back. Otherwise, they would have been within one score or 10 points of the Bills. And that's not a good sign. It's just not. Um, So I don't think there's too much to go into with the Patriots. We know about them. We know what they do. But there is a little juice missing. So until they really click, and Edelman just has that game where he has 12 catches, where Gordon catches a couple deep, deep, more deep balls, Chris Hogan needs to get going on this offense a little bit. Because right now, defenses are saying, Rob Gronkowski is not beating us. They're just doubling him, abusing him off the line of scrimmage. And uh, their defense is is solid, not great. So I'm keeping them at number three. Number two, I'm going with the New Orleans Saints. And this was a really tough one. And I think I might be giving the nod at number one to the Rams just based off that undefeated record. Because there's been a little regression from the Rams, I must remind you. There has not been 
absolute routes like we saw in the first four or five weeks of the season over the past couple. But I'm you don't going... cover one game and you just say the sky's falling. Dude, they haven't covered the past like four weeks, okay? So don't give me that garbage. <laughs> don't give me that <laughs> garbage, all right? No, but I'm going to put the Rams number one. They have the talent. They have my MVP at this point um, in Todd Gurley. But I'm going to put them number one for now. With the New Orleans Saints, though, similarly to the Rams, they have this eclectic group of offensive skill players who are just absolutely incredible. You're talking about Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram. They are running back ones on every team in the league. Don't let Mark Ingram fool you after his suspension for the first four weeks. This guy is a stud. Him and Kamara last year were both Pro Bowl worthy, both studs, both incredible fantasy players, and and they're both back to it again this year. They can both catch the ball out of the backfield. They can both run in and outside of the tackles. It's insane. And Michael Thomas is truly one of the best receivers in the league. When you have Drew Brees, you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league. The New Orleans Saints, the only reason that they get worried, uh, they make me worry, is how do they always play outdoors in the cold? Drew Brees is known to not be the greatest outdoor quarterback in the cold, but him showing up in Baltimore two weeks ago and and sneaking out a really tough win over a good Baltimore team, that proves something to me. Going into Minnesota in a primetime game, that proves something to me. But what are you going to do when you play at Cincinnati next week? Or when you play at Carolina in a couple weeks? That's where you can prove if this team is for real and come playoff time, if they don't happen to have the full-fledged home field advantage, and they do got to play one outside, they can prove to you that they got the sauce. And lastly for the Rams, they've obviously made some acquisitions in the past day or two uh, on their defense to just continue to add talent on talent on talent. The one thing they were actually missing, believe it or not, they were missing something, was an outside pass rush. So with Fowler coming over from Jacksonville, maybe that'll shore him up. But I think there was a point for the Rams recently where they kind of I don't want to say they got complacent because they've been playing pretty decent football, but they didn't have that they're putting their foot on your throat to not letting go feel that they had in the first couple weeks. I mean, over the past three weeks, they've played a two point, uh, four weeks, they've played a two point game against the Seahawks. They've played a three point game against the Broncos. And they played a two point game, which they almost gave the ball back to Aaron Rodgers with two minutes left to go, which we all saw on Sunday afternoon. So, there's some pause here. There's some reason to think that this may not be the full-fledged juggernaut that we thought, but that's when Duffy, the NFL, just does it again. They're giving us Rams at Saints, 425 start this Sunday, Week 9. So the two best teams in the league, by my estimation, Duff, are facing off in Week 9 when the Rams are undefeated and the Saints haven't lost since Week 1. One side's got to give, and I can't wait, truly, I can't wait. And don't they play the Chiefs the following week? Or coming up in the next three weeks, the Rams? The Rams have Seattle again, who has been sneaky good. And then they have the Chiefs right after that, before they're by. So, three, is, three game, big games. Is in like Mexico City or something? Monday night, Mexico City, correct. And you, you were acting like, Neutral you know. Site. Like, were you, you, do you pay attention to football or not? You seem like you know what you're doing over here. Uh, Not really. I mean, I missed the point about the trade deadline and the Rams covering. I just... I, I, I do very peripheral knowledge of the NFL. Not bad. You can pass off. You can pass off. Maybe next time you yeah. sign on to uh, our, our chat earlier, you can get in the conversation a little bit. Yeah, just sneak preview at least to the next pod. 
Exactly. And also, uh, last thing, I mentioned it earlier, Todd Gurley is my MVP. Um, I mentioned how Patrick Mahomes is not because there's many other moving parts to the Chiefs' offense and reasons why they're successful, including Andy Reid. He's done this before with multiple quarterbacks for many, many years. Got to give some some benefit of the doubt to Reid in that situation, to Kareem Hunt, Kelsey, and Hill. And now with Todd Gurley, you may be thinking, yeah, but oh, the Rams' offense is sick. Sean McVay is one of the best play callers in the league. Goff has been great. Cooks, Woods, Cup, well, on the contrary, I believe Todd Gurley is the epicenter of that offense. And without him, they don't look anything like they do. And Cooper Cup has been injured. I think Brandon Cooks is a slightly overrated, to be quite honest. And I don't think Jared Goff can do what he does in the pass game without the incredible Todd Gurley uh, turning some five-yard throws into 50-yard touchdowns like he seems to do every week. So I'm going Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley MVP. You make it to 30 touchdowns. Which is just stupid. And he chose not to score last week. Which, by the way... Well, that was blue. He's going to get to 29 now. Let me let me throw this out there. I don't know if I'm in the minority here. I know I saw my man Doug Gottlieb say something about this. Everybody's like praising Todd Gurley for not scoring there and just like letting the clock run out and all. But, like, realistically, if, if they score, if he just runs in and scores, they go up by two scores. Doesn't that ice the game with 40 seconds left? Like, isn't Well, they would go up by eight, and then they have to well, they, bank they, on the PAT or the two-point conversion. So it's really one possession. It's really one, like one score yeah. game, one touchdown game, I guess, technically. With, I, like, what was it, like a minute to go it was with like Aaron Rodgers? So it was seconds. very doable. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're confident in the extra point, you just, just score. Hey, they won the game, so he's right. That's you know a, what I mean? It's like point. if you go for it on fourth down and you don't get it, you're an idiot. And if you do get it, you're ballsy and you're you know bold coach who's got the locker room behind him. You know what I mean? It's like it's result oriented uh, deter- um, criticism. Absolutely, that's a good point, Duff. That's what. Hey, look at that, adding stuff to the football segment. I love it. All right. Well, anyway, Sports Blog New York podcast, and now officially an NBA Outsiders edition as well. As my man Duff joins me on the SBNY pod. Quick shout out again to Team Left Jab, Duff. I know I sent you the picture beforehand. Uh, before we were recording, there have been some nice little numbers coming out of the Team Left Jab radio uh, station over here. Some yeah, new- getting some love from Team Left Jab. Appreciate it. I love it. Some new listeners. We love new listeners. And the only thing that can make it better is more. And also, if you guys want to interact a little bit, don't be afraid to hit us on Twitter. At PKennedy2Ys, at SportBlogNYC, at NBA underscore Outsiders. Anywhere you want to chat it up. NBA, football, baseball, who cares? Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, but anyways, Duff... Did you uh, catch some good hoops on Tuesday night? I caught a little bit of some good hoops. I saw the first half of the Sixers-Raptors game, which I I missed the end of it, but it went kind of how I expected. I haven't seen the highlights yet, but the Sixers just don't look the same this season. It feels weird. It feels like something is definitely missing. They're a little misguided i don't know what it was both teams are coming off a back-to-back and the sixers came out flat and the raptors were playing with a lot of energy especially on defense and you know maybe that comes from just knowing you have Kawhi leonard on your team and the guy is going to take over most of the scoring and the toughest defensive assignment on every single night except i guess uh last night when they played the bucks which was supposed to be an amazing game two undefeated teams in the east yeah what a buzz and then, game 
What a absolute buzzkill, man. This is like the day before. It's like, oh yeah, both players aren't going to play. Kawhi is just going to sit, and Giannis needs a clear concussion protocol. So, but anyway, the Sixers just feel like they're missing something, and if this keeps going, they just feel flat. I mean, they're four and four. It's not like they're one and five, like the Wizards, or one and six, like the Wizards now. Yeah, um, or the Rockets, or the Rockets, sneaky one and five Rockets. Um, but I could. If this keeps dragging on for another week to 10 days, two weeks, I could see I could see Jimmy Butler to Philly real quick. Whoa. All right. Bringing the sauce here. I like this. I haven't heard this. It's probably since I, the season started especially, but honestly, I haven't heard this in a while since like off-season, off-season Jimmy Butler speculation. Right. That, so like, you know, preseason, it doesn't feel like you need them, right? You're like, oh, we got, we're going to plug Fultz in. We still got JJ, Rocco, Sarich. They're both going to get better. And it feels like no one has really progressed a significant amount to, to amount to anything near a Jimmy Butler. So what do you do? You feel a little flat. And now you see the emergence of the Bucks. The Raptors are super for real. And you got beat by the, by, the Celtics, who are five and two, and they don't even feel like they're playing their best basketball. So now what? Yeah, it's like people have this weird. I, I've been hearing this weird stuff about the Celtics. Like, man, they really just feel different this season, and uh, they they're not s- scoring like they need to. There's an explosion of scoring, and they barely are cracking 100 points. They have the same record through seven games as they did last year, and they would have broke 60 if Kyrie didn't go down. And also, so, they also lost the first two games of the year last year before going on, what, like an 18-game win streak or something like that? Yeah, yeah, huge winning streak. So that essentially, they're at that same point where they're 5-2. and two. So that's exactly where they were last season through seven games. Yeah, you know, and what I want to do here for the, the rest of this podcast is kind of just roll through some of these big teams and big storylines and some of the small teams who have maybe been a little shocking here and just play, uh, um, you know, everyone's favorite. A little pretender contender, or real or not real, whatever you want to call it for the specific situation. But I want to run through teams like the Celtics and and the Raptors, and then also teams like the Kings. The Sacramento mm-hmm. Kings are five and three, and they're playing a good brand of basketball. And if the Monza season Bielitsa. ended today, <laughs> if the season ended today, Pete, Sacramento Kings are in the playoffs. If the season ended today, is Frank Nealakina seven foot five? <laughs> If this well, no, actually, if the, if the season ends as it's scheduled, he'll be about eight eight one yeah. by then. He'll tallest be, player in NBA history. He'll be really tall by then. By the way, someone hit us on Twitter. The the same guy who shouted us the question for the Knicks Nets draft thing. Mm-hmm. He also tweeted at me the other day and said that he's a big fan of the Frank is keep that just keeps growing joke. By the way, so let's keep that going. I, I mean, I'm all in on that joke. He's gonna be ten foot by the end of the season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let, let's run into some of these things here, and we're going to get back to the Sixers and the Celtics. I'm going to bring them up later, but I do want to actually talk specifically about the Houston Rockets here because you know, the Lakers are going to come up in all these conversations about the NBA right now. I think the Nuggets are a team. The Bucks and the Raptors are definitely teams that are going to get talked about as like how real is this hot start to their season, but kind of being forgotten about at the moment after the Chris Paul suspension, James Harden's actually uh, didn't play tonight and I think he's missing one more game they're one and five they got rid of Trevor Ariza did not bring back Luke Richard and Bamute and added Carmelo Anthony 
who many people believe to be not a good basketball player anymore, and that's saying it kind of nicely. So this team is 1-5. I picked the over for them to win over 56 games. Don't feel great about it right now, Duff, but what do you think about this overall squad here and what it's going to take for them to turn this thing around? I think it's going to take defense. Do you, do you they, think it, so do you think it's real or not real also, by the way? They're one in five record. I mean, I feel like it's real on a relative scale. I I don't think this is going to extrapolate out to they end up just tanking, but I feel like this could turn into a six seed, like a sneaky six seed that no one saw coming. Everyone had them like sharpied in at two. You know, I've heard some people say the Jazz um, but or the Nuggets but that's not really the consensus pick was the Rockets. So I feel like this could turn into like a six, seven seed. If they don't make some changes to the roster They're they offered four picks for Jimmy Butler. We don't know how those protections laid out because you know, it, you can only draft or you can only trade first round draft picks seven years in advance. And on that seventh year in 2025, if it's top, if it's, top 10 protected, let's say, and the pick ends up in the top 10, it actually gets rolled over into the next season and it's automatically two second rounders. So it's really turns into three first round picks and two second round picks and you have to eat the Brandon Knight contract and blah, blah, blah. So they need to make some adjustments to this roster. Trevor Ariza and Luke and Bob Mute were really important to this team last season. They played a lot of minutes. They freed up they they had a lot of blemishes that stemmed from James Harden in terms of perimeter defense, which he got crushed for his entire career until last year. We're like, oh yeah, like he's good. I mean, he's he's still not great, but he's good enough now, right? He's not he's not terrible. Um, but you you replace that with Carmelo Anthony, like that doesn't feel great. And giving Gerald, so, Gerald Green more minutes and giving yeah. Michael Carter Williams minutes. I mean, MCW is supposed to be really good on Stop defense. Stop it. But he's not good at anything. I know. He's really just not. He's really not. But that's what everyone – it's like, are we really trying to rationalize MCW right now? That's that's what everyone was doing before the season, and that should have been like a huge flashing red light that this is not going to work out. So, I mean, this is real. But this this record is real on a relative scale. This, I mean, I still see them in the playoffs, but – they need to make some roster adjustments. They need perimeter defense bad. And something I want to mention about the Rockets, which I think gets forgotten about a little bit, it's twofold. So one, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case since James Harding is shooting so damn good right now. He's shooting over 44% from three, which is awesome. He usually shoots like 35 36%. Yeah, he was league average last year. He just shot like 10 a game. Yeah, which he's still sh- he's shooting eight a game right now. He's still getting to the line. But does he have a little bit of an MVP hangover? Like, does he feel that absolute passion to to make sure he doesn't get made fun of on defense every night? Does he feel that absolute passion that he has to be the number one seed? So there's that for James Harden specifically. I don't know if it's the case, but it's a storyline. And then also, they talk about, like, a Super Bowl hangover and also an NBA Finals hangover. I know the Super Bowl term is just a little bit easier to use there. Like, this team also went to Game 7 of the Conference Finals. Is there a little bit of a hangover with the guys who have come back? Like, Eric Gordon is playing, like, trash right now. And last year in the playoffs when Chris Paul went down, that dude, like, he balled out. Like, he did everything he possibly could to keep this Rockets team afloat. And right now he's shooting 23% from three. He's shooting eight threes a game, hitting less than two. 
I mean, Melo is shooting league average at 36, and it feels like he's not hitting any shots. But really, like Eric Gordon is struggling right now. So I think he'll get better. I, I just, I, I have such a hard time imagining this team really struggling for a long period of time. I think there's going to be a point where they just win like six in a row. It's like, okay, all right, the Rockets are fine. But level off, yeah. Like, Didn't they win like 22 straight last season at, at a well, certain point? They won like an incredible amount. Nineteen. When Chris Paul, James Harden, and Clint Capella were all on the court, they were like twenty-eight and two at some point or something ridiculous like that. When they yeah, were, it was, they and were then there was some ridiculous stat. It's like through forty games of these three playing, they've only lost like two games, something like, ridiculous. Right, which I think even trickled into the playoffs. That number was still insane. Um, like I don't, I, I watched the Rockets tonight, and they ended up getting beat very good by um, the. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here. The Trailblazers, who are a nice, nice team. Who we all counted out, who we all were like, yeah, they're not even gonna like Vegas had their over under at five hundred, like which is crazy to now think about it when you watch Dame and CJ just continue to do what they do. But they got they smoked the Rockets tonight. Rockets weren't even close. They only scored eighty five points. Like what? So I am I have a hard time blaming Melo. I know a lot of people just rush to say ah, Melo's on a team like cancer. He just ruins every team he's on nowadays. Like he sucks. He's trash. Like there, there's that's there's no way that that is that that's the be all end all there. I'm I'm sorry. I, I, I know. Feel like this is like ninety percent they lost Ariza and Mute and ten percent they got Mello. It's not. It's just because he he's there and you see him. Right. And those other two guys are absent. It's it's because they lost those two guys, not because they gained Mello. Like, and if I I bet you if you asked a, an average NBA fan who just watched Rockets highlights and kept up with their box score, kind of not even kept up with their box score, like checked their stats every day, but like just checked if they won, see how Harden did. I bet yeah, most see people the top score. Right. Most people would probably assume that Mello's shooting twenty nine percent from three, but he's shooting league average, and isn't isn't that his job? Like, isn't that isn't that it? Reba- yeah. Rebound and shoot threes. Like that's it. That's all we want. That's what the Rockets do, right? So, I have I have a hard time blaming Melo. I've been a Melo apologist in my day at certain points. So I also don't think this is real. They're gonna they're gonna turn it around. And I've also killed Melo at f- every chance I got. So <laughs> for me to say it's not his fault, that I feel like that speaks volumes. Um, it, I don't feel like this is like a hangover for them. It's just they lost the glue guys of their team. They lost the guys who did all the dirty work. You know, th- this would be like if the Warriors lost their Draymond Green or something along those lines because they don't have their two best perimeter defenders that are so, so important that hide all the blemishes and let James Harden just do whatever he wants. And can also shoot threes at an okay clip. even yeah, though and Ariza knock had... down open threes. Ariza... And you know what? Eric Gordon was didn't start great from three last season. I don't think it was this bad, but he got off to a slow start last season too. So this is, again, not something that's unusual it's just the the two guys who helped cover these blemishes aren't there anymore because if you're winning no one notices right so now they're losing and everyone's like the sky is falling what's happening this team is broken right and the only teams in the western conference that are giving up more points than the rockets are the lakers and timberwolves and suns <laughs> of course the suns of course, the Suns. God damn it. Well, let's keep this thing moving here and talk about another Western Conference team. And I do want to actually talk about the San Antonio Spurs, Duffy. So they ha- they have been somewhat small sample size champion at this point because they're one of the only teams with a positive record with a negative point differential. They're giving up 117 points per game. 
they're de- they don't have uh, one singular defensive talent on their team, really, without DeJounte Murray in the lineup. Like, think about Patty Mills, De- DeMar DeRozan, Rudy Gay, LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, none of those guys are known for their defense. And that could be a problem over time. But when you talk about Greg Popovich and you talk about DeMar DeRozan and the new facilitation in his game, he's averaging like eight assists a game. Are the Spurs in the playoffs still, is that real or not real? Real, 100% real. The Spurs are in the playoffs. I'm 100% positive they'll be in the playoffs until they start round one and I don't see them there. Like that's just kind of how I feel about the Spurs. They've just managed to keep every game close down the stretch and then hopefully DeMar DeRozan or LaMarcus Aldridge can just go make every bucket down the stretch and they just grind teams out and say, this is our closer, where's yours? Go do like go do something about it. They went to DeRozan in the last minute against the Mavs and in overtime, it felt like 15 possessions in a row. And every time down, I knew what they were going to do. The Mavs knew what they were going to do. It didn't feel like they could stop them. So, yeah, the defense is going to take a little while to get used to. I feel like Pop has been a little slow to maneuver to this three-point shooting. I think it was even just today he called it like a clown show. And he, he didn't. he's like, yeah, why don't we get a four-point four shot, a five-point shot? Like, this is a circus. So maybe he's – because he's reluctant to recognize it, that's why they're not defending it as well. I don't know. I'm just being – a a bit of an excuse maker here because I feel like Pop has earned that, but I'm not worried about them. I think this is, I think this is real. And I think with those two guys in his back pocket, he can find a way to grind these games out and get wins. Cause that's how it felt last year. Cause so it, it doesn't feel totally dissimilar. Now they have an extra guy besides LA to really close it out. The difference was last year, I'm going to try to do a, <clears throat> just a simple like plus minus here. So, plus DeMar DeRozan as their best offensive talent by far, and minus Danny Green and DeJounte Murray, who are their best defensive talents by far last year, who were, I should Mm -hmm. say. When you take the defensive impact of those two guys and the offensive impact of an all-NBA player in DeMar DeRozan, I think I'm leaning towards... DeMar DeRozan. Like, I'm taking one over those two, right? Like, am I crazy for saying that? Because their defense is trash. I don't think that's debatable. But their offense is a lot better, if you ask me. They have, they didn't have Kawhi last year, so they were playing with LaMarcus Aldridge and a bunch of role players. They now have mm-hmm. a true bonafide stud scorer who happens to also be averaging eight assists in the Spurs system, which is pretty crazy. So I'm leaning towards DeMar DeRozan over two-plus defenders. Top-heavy talent usually wins out in the NBA. Just look at the Warriors, look at the Heat years ago with their big three, Celtics with their big three. It it usually wins out. You know, Lakers with Shaq and Kobe. You know, you have to go to, like, the mid-2000s Pistons to really look at a team that won it all without a quote-unquote superstar, you know? So really that top-level talent usually wins out. They say in every trade, you know, doesn't matter really what you gave up. If you got the best player, you won the trade. So that's just the way the NBA works. The Stars League. So you trade basically Kawhi Leonard, who was a nothing for you last year, but now looks amazing this year. But he wouldn't play there for other reasons. And Danny Green, and you get an all-NBA player back, you win the trade. 
essentially. Yeah. So, uh, three years of DeMar DeRozan for theoretically one year of Kawhi Leonard. And it's very you theoretical. Know, if you're the Spurs it's at this point, maybe you take the DeMar. I think they do. I think they're happy with it. Uh, another team I want to talk about here, I mentioned them earlier, and it's the Sacramento Kings. I got two more teams to talk about in the West. That's the Kings and one more. Um, Duff, the Kings, man. De'Aaron Fox, the most interesting signing of the NBA offseason, Nemanja Bielitsa. <laughs> like, is his team better than we thought, or is it just a little hot to start the season? I honestly don't know. I feel so weird about this one. If you're asking me I think if I think they're going to make the playoffs, no oh, is my no. answer. Hell no. But, like, are they going to be fun and, like, competitive for the whole year? Yeah, I I weirdly I think so. I only watched like a handful of Kings games last year. I've already watched three this year. I think I watched them on opening night against the Jazz. Uh, I watched them against the Wizards when Bielitsa went off for, like twenty six points and he was dishing late in the game. They play with some balls, man. Like I texted you guys this a couple days ago. They have an edge. They're not scared of anyone. There's a lot of talent on the court, and they know that. So if they feel on any given night that they have the talent where someone could just kind of go off and carry them to a win against a lot of teams. And I think that's kind of true against the bottom half of the West against, you know, the two thirds of the East maybe. So they're, they're thinking, Hey, if we can string enough of those in a row, we can sniff the playoffs. So we got to really, you know, grind it out, grind these games out. Cause they had do have a negative point differential barely. It's basically tied, but they have the same defensive rating as, uh, as um, the Rockets, and we're like, oh, my God, the Rockets look so bad on defense. But their offense is clicking. That's right. the other thing. As the Rockets' team. offense, they're only scoring – they're scoring 10 points a game fewer than the Kings at this point in the season, Same which way. is insane. And you know what happened a little bit with De'Aaron Fox here, and even Buddy Heald's not as young as De'Aaron Fox is, and Will Colestein isn't as young, but these guys got so outshined by their draft counterparts – like, De'Aaron Fox last year had a typical future starting slash possibly all-star guard. He had the classic rookie year for that type of player. He put up some good games. He turned the ball over a ton. He shot like crap. He got exposed in the post on defense when he got switched on to bigs. Like, he, everything that happens to a young guard who's going to be a future star happened to for De'Aaron Fox. He had some highlights. He had some horrible games. He had some good games. But his team sucked, right? But he got outshined by Rookie of the Year Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, and even Lonzo Ball, who had a very up-and-down season with slightly more downs, got way more attention, obviously, being on the Lakers. Shout out, LeVar. Even though I think everybody loved De'Aaron Fox coming into the draft, I think you and I both included, thought he was going to be a very very quality player, unbelievably fast, great driver, good passer, all all this stuff. We forgot about him. We forgot that he he's going to take a real step, and he's averaging 18 points. He's averaging seven assists. I mean, uh, is it it's possible? because he's on the Kings, and there's this pretty strong bias against them due to the last 10 years of them just sucking. So now, and I mean, which will continue because, again, they don't have their draft pick this year either. So yeah. There's already well, two, te- two other teams fighting over that. They're playing like it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this is they're making sure Boston gets four first-round picks. Them and the Grizzlies are really – really determined to give Boston four first-round picks. Yeah, and uh, one more guy I want to mention on the Kings. Uh, Will Coley-Stein last night had like 23 points and 12 rebounds, or maybe I think he had 16 rebounds. He was a guy we never thought of as like an offensive talent. He's going to be one of those defensive, versatile guys who can just roll to the basket. 
You said you watched a couple mm-hmm. Kings games. What have you seen from Trill? What? Trill Trill Coley Stein? Are you not familiar with his nickname? Sorry, I thought No. I, thought you I were did not I did not know that. No. Uh he is he's like a weird player to watch because he plays with a lot of energy, but then anytime the camera zooms in on him, it looks like he's about to fall asleep. Like he just has no expression on his face at any time. He got that Brandon Ingram is, look. It's so we he looks like completely detached but at the same time you hear get him like fight for a rebound or throw down a dunk and then it go they cut to him and it's like oh shit did i forget to record cake boss today what the hell and it's <laughs> it's it doesn't make any sense like w- when you look at it but if you look at the raw numbers you're like man he's killing it and then you watch him do it it's like is he even having fun out there this is so bizarre that's been my biggest takeaway from trill collie steins or whatever that we're calling him now there we go that's that's his nickname, Trill Colestein. Yeah, I mean, I just saw his stat line from last night or two nights ago. Now, by the time this podcast is out, I was just like, "What? Like, how is he getting that many points?" And I watched the highlights. He's got some touch. Like, he's got some funky shots in the paint area, and he could clearly get up and run the floor. Uh, I mean, you know what? The Kings Kings are worthy of my league pass attention on occasion. That, mm-hmm. That's all I'll give them for now. You know, but I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on them until they're about ten games under five hundred, and then I won't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Anyways, last thing in the Western Conference I want to talk to you about, real or not real, contender, pretender, Steph Curry, MVP, revenge tour, and then followed by a finals MVP. <laughs> real or not real? Uh, I think it's real. I'm not sure if it's in if he's doing this on purpose or he's just getting off to a hot start, but this was sort of a sneaky narrative before – the season even started and it seems like the MVP more so than anything else is about narratives now rather than actually who has the best season or who's the best player. So this could be a narrative that everyone follows and they have this us against the world mentality this year. I mean, we thought they weren't going to care. They're seven and one. They don't seem flat. They were 29 and 12 and 29 and 12 at home and on the road last year. So you knew they were going to prove at home. And uh, they're 3-0 to start it. But still in a couple games, like against the Knicks. The Knicks were in it the whole time. And then, boom, the Warriors just flipped the switch. And it was a 30-point game. It was a lot closer than, like, the box score would have you believe. Right. But It was but close he for three scored, quarters. What did you say? It was close for three quarters. It was. And for, like, three, three minutes into the fourth. Like, it, it really shouldn't have well i'm not gonna say shouldn't have been but it didn't feel like a 30 point blow um he's scored what has it been like five threes and it's been five threes in eight straight games which is some like weird joe dimaggio like three-point shooting streak that we've never seen before and then the third option on their team is getting 14 threes a game like it's an embarrassment of riches the night that steph went for 51 everyone's going crazy I mean, Kevin Durant went for 30. He went for like 30-18 with like three blocks. It's like, what do you do with this team? You just This is, again, top-level talent will win out. And I think, you know, I, I bet you Steph has heard some of the narratives. Like, you know, do it without Durant, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, okay, tail end of my prime here. I'm going to give it one last season where I give it everything I have, and this is it. And I think he might be hunting for that third MVP to really say, no, this was my team. This was my dynasty. 
not Kevin Durant didn't save us. It's because he came here because I'm here and I'm one of the, I should be considered as maybe the best player in the world. I'm all in on that. I am all in on that narrative. I think it's super duper real, whether it's subliminal or not. It's real. And he, he's shooting over 50% from three right now. Is that going to last? 50, 50, 90, maybe that was my next question to you. Real or not real? Steph Curry's 50-50-90 chance. It's real. It's actually freaking real. And it's crazy to say out loud. And uh, I heard a quote from Clay Thompson via the back-to-back pod. Shout out our close personal friends. <laughs> mm. um, My close personal friend, Amina Hassan, <laughs> exactly. Tom Havishaw. They said something about what Clay said about Steph. Is like, you don't become Steph Curry and you don't take those shots without being a little arrogant. And I think it's showing this year that his confidence is also slightly arrogant and humble humbleness. He's great at showing it in front of the cameras and in interviews, but when he's on the court, not a lot of humbleness to his game stuff. Dude's confident. Every athlete is like that. Every athlete talks about how ego is important, particularly in basketball where the next shot is always going in, especially for shooters. Everyone talks about that, so I'm not surprised. Yeah. So very, very interesting. And, yeah, he said he wasn't talking about him as a person, about on the court. He does not lack confidence or arrogance, or, or maybe he does lack some hum, hum, humbility, hum, humbleness. What am I? Why am I not humble. saying that word? Humility. That? There we go. That's not a hard one. What, what am I doing here? Uh, yeah. Quick note on Clay Thompson's 14 point, uh, 14 three point night. He had more threes in that one night than the Heat, Lakers, Kings, Nets, Bulls, Nuggets, Pelicans, Mavericks, Knicks, Spurs, Raptors, Hawks, and Pacers. He also tied the Sixers and Wolves with 14, and the Bucks were the only team to have more than Klay Thompson for, for talk about three-pointers in that one night. And another thing, he had 56 points, and how many dribbles do you think he took? Well, on shots or Eight. overall? Overall. Like 30? 13? I don't know. Something crazy. I think he took three. No, I think that was on score. On shots. On scores. On scoring yeah, in yeah. their half or whatever. Yeah. None, Dude, that none, stat is unbelievable. Imagine, see, he's he is like when you go to play pickup and you have to guard the guy who's just running around all the time and doesn't seem like he knows what he's doing on a basketball court and he just kind of sucks, but he's annoying to guard. Except he'll make any shot from anywhere at any time, <laughs> so you can never stop running with him. So he is literally like my nightmare guard in any – pickup game I, I would ever play is the last person I would want to guard on the entire floor. Thankfully, most guys in the rec league don't shoot like Clay. Thank <laughs> God. And those who do don't run like that. Yeah, true. They just want to stand in the corner. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff on the Western Conference. Let's bounce around some Eastern Conference stuff. Pete Kennedy, John Lucas, Duffy. Wait, uh, can I can I ask you two quick other teams? One oh, sentence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give, give, right. me it, give me it. Number two seed in the West, Denver Nuggets. Real or not real? Not real. Not real. Not real. Wow. Um, and you know, I love the Nuggets. You know, Jokic is my boy for real, for real. Shout out Nikola Jokic. Shout out Jamal Murray, also my boy. Um, two seed is is too high, for lack of better terms. Their defense is going to come down to earth a little bit, and they're going to start giving up some more points and have more of those patented shootouts. Uh, I think what happened with this Nuggets team, they had the anti-hangover. Like, they went to sleep early on Friday and Saturday. 
and mm-hmm. like rested on Sunday. So like Monday morning at work, like they're a champion, like they're getting emails out by like seven o'clock. Like they didn't make the playoffs last year. They were left out on the outside looking in. They were on the outside of the club and they couldn't even get in tough. So mm. they come into this season with like real motivation, insane energy, and they just set it on storm. They're five and one right now. The only loss was a tough loss to the Lakers where they clicked on all cylinders. Um, I think they come down to earth a little bit. I think teams like the Rockets, the Jazz, and yeah, yeah, I don't know. Actually, you know what? Maybe it's a little more real than I thought. I just took a quick peek at the standings and like, who, who's taking taking that spot? Who's taking it? I don't know. I I, I don't think it's it's definitely a real possibility, but I'm not betting on it. I'll say that. But I do love the Nuggets this year. I think three four seed is more their more their uh, their jaw at this point. Okay, next one: Memphis Grizzlies. They're four and two, plus three point seven in win differential or point differential. Um, real in the sense that they're going to compete all year, and they're going to be annoying, and they're not going to be an easy victory. Like last year, the Trailblazers roll into Memphis, easy money victory. This year, a team like the Trailblazers, just a team I picked up randomly. Like you roll into Memphis, or they come into you play you. You got to deal with Mike Conley. You got to deal with Marcus All. Some scrappy uh, role players. They're they're not a pushover. They are definitely not a pushover. But they are also not a playoff team. Okay, I would agree with that assessment because three of their wins against uh, f- future lottery teams, most likely. Yeah. In the Hawks, the Suns, and the Wizards, who are just like Wizards, low key the worst team in the NBA right now. Yeah, it's and, disgusting and, to watch. And how often can the Grizzlies continue to win games in like the low hundreds and nineties in today's NBA against good teams? Yeah, too. It, like it, that's it, what they did to the Jazz, and we all know the slow start Donovan Mitchell's having. Right. Well, until he had that thirty-eight point explosion, but yeah, like they're they're like you look you look up and down the standings, and they're like the only team that's not absolute trash that's scoring like a hundred and two points a game. So like, I don't truly believe it. You know, their defense isn't the Celtics' defense right now. They're not going to hang around and have a winning record, but they're they're going to give people problems all year. Yeah, a lot of pride between Conley and Gasol, those two guys who are the leaders of that team. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, moving on to the Eastern Conference. Let's start from the top and work our way down. We did the opposite a little bit with the West here. So, simply, real or not real, the Bucks are the best team in the Eastern Conference, or take it like this, they're a future one seed in the Eastern Conference. So last season, I said that the Bucks are like were my dark horse sneaky pick for number one seed in the East, and I feel like I was just a year too early. I'm saying it's real. I'm not saying they're the best team in the East, but I think they could be the one seed in the East because Giannis is hungry, and now with the brand of basketball that they're playing, sharing the ball, shooting more threes, spacing the court to give Giannis more room to maneuver, and by doing that, giving everyone else more room, they can win more regular season games that that leads to just more wins, more points scored for your team. And it's already a a roster full of lanky guys who can play really good defense, right? We talked about that for years, but they were just too young. They couldn't put it together. Now I feel like everything is gelled. And I think that they can take the number one seed in, in the East. Now, the Cavs were what the four seed last year, and they made it to the finals. So yeah. I'm not saying that they're going to win the East and go to the finals, but from a regular season perspective, kind of like how I was talk, we would talk about the Rockets last year. I think this could 
most definitely be a one seed in the East. Very real. Well, they took the Kyrie less and the Gordon Hayward less Celtics to seven games without a coach last year. If you think without, of, with an accountant at coach, <laughs> with Joe Prunty, the team coach. accountant was just there. <laughs> he just put on very strange. He put on his regular Tuesday suit and just sat on the bench every game. I think um, he just got on the wrong Bucks bus one day, and that's how it happened. <laughs> well, he's they like, also... "Oh, this isn't the shuttle, the parking garage." My bad. <laughs> oh wait, you want me to do what? Oh yeah, I'll, I'll talk. To, I'll talk to Giannis a couple times a game. Um, just saw a dry dry erase board and was doodling. He's like, <laughs> "Oh, hey, coach." He's like, "Oh, what?" No, no, I wasn't. No, you're late. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, imagine he gets another opportunity to become a head coach. That'll be something. Um, before yeah, t- before no, Ty Lue. So. Before, before Ty Lue. Um, now they have Mike Budenhoser. He's a real coach. And I tweeted this out the other day. Every time I'm watching the Bucks and I see Brooke Lopez hit a three, I will shake my head and think, why did the Lakers not keep him? It's weird. It's really weird. Brooke Lopez can shoot the freaking three ball, man. What are the Lakers thinking? I don't know, because it's not like he would have hurt their defense any more than it already is now. Like, they have the worst opponent points per game in the league. They're tied for the worst with the fucking Wizards. Like, Oof. Not where you want to be. And also, JaVale McGee uh, has gotten a lot of love so far this year as one of the bright spots of the Lakers. I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but he's kind of like a, like, he'll get blocks guy, but He's not a consistently impactful defender, if you ask me. Like I watched him, and he's a little too all over the place for my liking. If we're talking he's about a great, an anchor of a like, defense, PR tool because he has sick highlights where he'll get like these crazy blocks and then alley oop dunks. But if you really watch possession by possession, he is all over the place, like you're talking about. So, but like in the social media world where people just see snapshots on Instagram, he looks really good. Like he shouldn't look like Mitchell Robinson. In the tenth, yes. in the tenth season of his career, like Mitchell Robinson's all over the place and making like ridiculous blocks. This is his fourth game of like of his career. Javale McGee's mm-hmm. in his tenth season and is a world champion. Like, and he gets lost on defense all the time. Uh, how do we get on Javale McGee? Oh, Brooke Lopez. Shout out Bucks. Brooke Lopez. Uh, Bucks are awesome. They're going to be super fun. Giannis, Giannis's MVP case is looking more and more real. Um, if you ask me. But let's move this thing on. Unless you have anything left on the Bucks, anything. No, I mean this is going kind of how we planned. We saw what Buttonholzer could do with, you know, Jeff Teague and Kyle Korver and Al Horford, Paul Millsap. Now he gets Giannis. So and Chris Middleton shout out and Ersan Ilyasova yep. shout out. Some good, good little talent over there. Eric Bledsoe looks like an NBA player again, even though last year for a little bit. Yeah, I still don't love not. him, but he's shooting more threes, so maybe he gets better as the season goes, more comfortable at least. And shout out Nova Dante Divincenzo. Um, shout out. Toronto Raptors, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, it's hard to look at a Kawhi Leonard team and be like, could they not be real? I mean, well, it's you say that now, but last season, you know, is this guy going to be healthy? A, is he going to be motivated playing in Toronto? You know, the answer to both those questions were yes, as we see. So now you see it is legit. And if you trade... Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan straight up, you know, Kawhi Leonard is just better. So the Raptors, you know, whatever personal, cultural backlash that Masai Ujiri took for making that trade and everyone's like, there's no loyalty in sports. How could they do this to Kyle and DeMar? They're like the great brother duo, blah, blah, blah. It's about winning some fucking basketball games, okay? And actually having a chance when you get to the playoffs. 
And Kawhi Leonard is just better than DeMar DeRozan. Like, I know everyone likes DeMar, and Kawhi was the bad guy last year. But he's just better, and we're seeing that now. They they don't look the same. These aren't close games that they're playing in. They're really just, like, really ripping other teams' hearts out at the end of games where Kawhi's like, no, I'm going to get this sixth steal, and then I'm going to dunk it on the other end after I go coast-to-coast. It's a different dynamic because he can do more things than DeMar. And DeMar is already an all-NBA player. So I'm not saying he's trash. I'm just saying you took a guy whose biggest deficiency was defense and three-point shooting, and you gave essentially the same player back whose like three biggest strengths are defense and three-point shooting. Yeah, so, it's, it's incredible. It's been really good to watch. As a basketball fan, seeing Kawhi Leonard healthy and competing at a high level, it, it reminds us of who he was before last year's debacle. Like He yeah. is so incredibly talented, and his defense is just – it's – Oh my God! It's he's a blanket. It's crazy. It's you didn't realize how much you missed Kawhi Leonard until you saw him, right? Exactly. It's like one like of those. He's really easy to miss when you don't see him because like it's not like you know. Remember when like Russell Westbrook was hurt for like that one when he tears ACL or something like that? It's like you feel an emptiness when you don't see just the most vicious dunks of all time. Or like Paul George got hurt and the Pacers were absolutely irrelevant. Like Kawhi Leonard got hurt and like the Spurs were still decent. Spurs were still the Spurs, and you didn't hear Kawhi talk. He wasn't posted on social media. You didn't see it. Like, you hardly even saw him on the sideline in suits. Like, you know, like, and now he's playing basketball. It's like, oh, this is the guy I like. This, this guy's great. Yeah. It's it's like all that can be forgiven once you, you know, put the roll the ball on the court and he's actually there. And I don't think we're ever going to find out what really happened last season, which is just so, so bizarre. Um, I feel like it would be a good 30 for 30, right? This quiet kid comes out of nowhere from San Diego State. You know, Popovich is heartbroken. They have to trade George Hill. Then they win NBA championship. He's the finals MVP. And then all of a sudden, he hurts his hamstring. He doesn't trust what the doctor's saying. Sits out an entire year, and all of a sudden, he just pops up in Toronto and lights the East on fire. Right. Like, it's crazy. We don't even know where this is going to end. Next year, he could end up somewhere completely different and be a new person. It's going to be so entertaining to watch. Yeah. The Raptors became not interesting last year, despite how good they were playing with that core of DeRozan and Larry. They just, We all just kind of knew that when it came playoff time, yeah. it wasn't going to be the same, even though they were playing a better style of ball. Now they're playing that better style of ball and will likely have the best player on the court in almost every game against any team. And that's yeah. that means something. Um, let's talk about one more team in the East because we're getting a little long here. So we mentioned the Celtics and the Sixers before. Um, I want to mention the Celtics here. We talked a little bit about the Sixers earlier, so we'll leave them there for now. We talked about them a lot last week. Boston Celtics stuff, they have so much talent. They have a ton of dudes who are multi-talented on the floor. So I'm talking about guys who are versatile, who can play some defense. Their defense is held true. They're not giving up even 100 points per game right now, which in today's NBA is absolutely unheard of. It doesn't make sense. The scoring they're has They're barely been... scoring above 100 points. Exactly, which is the problem. So my question to you, is there enough basketball to go around do they know who their absolute alpha closer is? And do you sense, there's a lot of questions, I'm sorry, but and do you sense 
that Kyrie is actually going to be a Celtic long-term, or is there something weird going on there? I don't know. I think for that last question, it's too soon to tell. But for the other two, which are related, is you know who's the best player and who thinks they're the best player. It's strange because you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Terry Rozier really grew up a lot last season, and they just paid Marcus Smart. So they all feel like they're owed a little more responsibility. But then Kyrie comes back, Gordon Hayward comes back, and I feel like Hayward is super hungry to prove himself again, but he needs to take a back seat now to these younger guys, A, because maybe they feel like they've earned it, but B, he's really just not ready yet. You watch him, and it's very clear. He's a step slow. He's a little nervous, tentative at times to shoot the shot or attack the basket. So I'm not sure how this is going to shake out. We'll see. I mean, they all seem like good guys who get along from anything you hear on meet like through general media or social media. There doesn't seem to be any rumblings of struggling with the power dynamic, but on the court, it's pretty clear and something that needs to be solved. So I guess it's too soon to tell for all that stuff, but if they just keep winning, I think things will fall into place and people will, it can go one of two ways. If they just keep winning at like a 90% clip over the next 20 games or so, everything will sort itself out and things just are what they are on the court. And instinctively someone just becomes that alpha or B if they just start losing games and everyone's like, what the hell is happening? Someone will rise above and really prove themselves as that number one guy. So it's, going to go one of two ways here and if they kind of stew in the middle then maybe you need to make a trade less is more make some kind of three for one trade out there maybe you trade uh jalen brown and get jimmy butler probably not that's awful i regret saying it but <laughs> if you can convince it, them to the pelicans to trade anthony davis if things start going south for them that's kind of what you got to hope for it right that's the one they've had their eye on for all these years so my question to you is, if I told you one of these guys was not on the Celtics next year, who would it be, Kyrie or Jalen Brown? Next season or by the end of the year? Uh, next season. So it, it could be by the end of the year, but I'm just saying specifically next season, 2019, October, one of those guys is not on the Celtics. Hmm. Man, that's tough. Um, I would say Kyrie. What's your because reason? I'm very curious. He, I, I think I, I think I agree. But what's your reasoning? Yeah. If he gets injured again, mm. if he gets injured again, why are you going to sign this guy? You got Terry coming up, and you have four first round picks potentially. So, who knows? Like he was injured with you last year, and it cost you a trip to the finals. If he gets injured again this year and you don't make the finals again, you say, "Okay, There's you know, we made this trade. We got off the Isaiah contract, or we didn't didn't have to pay Isaiah. Got out of that, dodged that bullet because now he doesn't look the same. Gave us better. I mean, those two years were better than what Isaiah would have given you, right? So you essentially win the trade. Oh well, they but definitely now, won the trade. <laughs> yeah, right. But no moving, from, but it didn't turn into like the pure dominance of the trade. Like we get. Kyrie to finish out his career and we win titles and blah, blah, blah. But like, if he keeps getting hurt, 
what's how much patience do you have for that? I don't know. I feel like Danny Ainge would have a quick trigger to just let someone go, as he did with Isaiah. So, gun to my head, Kyrie. But that's only because if Gordon Hayward doesn't start playing well, they can't trade him anywhere. So I, I could sneaky see them trading Hayward if he starts showing flashes, because oh, then I would rather have Jalen Jalen Brown for the rest of his career than Gordon Hayward for the rest of his. Danny Ainge is ruthless. And another thing that I think plays into this a little bit, tell me if I'm crazy, is they got a lot of pushback when they drafted Jalen Brown at number three. Like, they got a lot of pushback, and people were like, this guy can't shoot, he's not an offensive prospect, he's just an athlete, he's raw, we need to win now, like this and that, whatever. When he was starting to be proven right that Jalen Brown is this good player we thought he, or he thought he could be, not a lot of us thought, I think he wants to prove that that pick was legit and that he was right. I think he's more likely to ship out Kyrie, who's been a rental of Jace, if, you, if you're being honest, right? He was a trade yeah. And now, if he's only here for two years, he becomes a, a little bit of a longer rental. Jalen Brown was drafted by Ainge. He's got pride. And if he continues to grow, I think Ainge wants to be able to say, yeah, no, I drafted that guy number three over all these other people who aren't good, who you told me to pick. So I think I think the Kyrie being gone, more likely to be gone is definitely legitimate. And as much as I think Kyrie's a wild card, and he said he wanted to stay in Boston, but who knows how serious he is about that, uh... I think it's very possible that Kyrie played his card perfectly because he can now say, I wanted to stay in Boston. Yep, Ainge, he forced their hand. Ainge lowballed me and insulted me. I'm one of the best point guards in the league. I'm out of here and getting mine. So he has an out if Ainge doesn't make the offer. And I don't think Ainge cares about being the bad guy. So nope. I can see that marriage. Uh, clearly, look him. what he did to Isaiah. Facts. He's already been the bad guy. And... Real quick on that Jalen Brown thing, he was drafted the same year as Ben Simmons, right? Number three overall. Yep, Simmons, Ingram, Jalen Brown. Who would you rather have, Brandon Ingram or Jalen Brown? To this point, I, hmm. Jalen, uh, Jalen Brown. Who would you rather have today, and then who would you rather have five years from now? I think I'm taking Jalen Brown for both. Me too. Maybe because I don't like Ingram's growth. It's been too slow. Is that like, skewed because him he's had becoming, a slow start? Uh. Him becoming like Kevin Durant light is that ship has sailed. I'm sorry, guys, because either you don't understand how fucking good Kevin Durant is, or you don't see that this guy's jump shot is just so far behind. It it just I don't see it with him. At this and point, you got to hope attitude, he becomes a Daniel after he comes back from a four game suspension. He shoves the MVP, gets in the ref's face, throws a hate maker in the scrum. And then he comes back and is like, I don't know who's going to be in the lineup, but I know I'm starting. Like, what the fuck is that? Who do you think you are? You haven't earned shit in this league. Like, you you're, you have never made the playoffs, and it, you're currently not on track to now, and it's not like you've come out like a house on fire. That was just, that was a red flag for me. That was just so tone deaf, I think, on his part. At this point, he, he better hope he can become a Danilo Gallinari. <sighs> He, he should be less so lucky. That's what I'm saying. Like, for real. No, I'm not even kidding. Like, I know, because Danilo's good. It's just a matter of him being hurt all the time. They're the same size, like almost, right? And Gonalinari's got great touch shooting. He's a decent little passer. I mean, Ingram showed a little bit of passing game last year. I think I think we're a little bit skewed here because Ingram's had a slow start this year. He had some really good moments last year. But his he shot is a slow two seasons, bro. Like, That's true. His shot is, is behind, for sure. I think and it's on around. a team where he just got reps. 
Like, no one was slowing him down. He was starting at, like, it point guard. He was getting so many touches. Yeah. Wow. All right, this is good stuff, man. This is great. I'm happy that you uh, that you came on for the second half of the pod, man. Glad I made it. It's Absolutely. a close one. Um, Sports Blog New York Podcast, NBA Outsiders mashup. You know what it is. Um, Duff, we'll be back probably next week. There's a slight chance we, we may get cut off next week because I'm doing a fantasy football episode with my mans from the run-up to score fantasy football podcast maybe on like monday or tuesday so maybe uh next thursday we'll release another one all right sounds good you know i'm available Uh, that's it there's a ton of ball ton of stuff to talk about did you happen to catch my Knicks nets uh game on uh the other night when when was that last night two nights ago i caught the end no was it last night well last night for us but by the time this episode's out two nights ago okay yeah so monday night I caught the end of it, but by that point, it was a blowout. What was I watching in the meantime? There was another 7 o'clock game that started that was... There, the Lakers and Timberwolves were on that night, too. Yep, I was watching that, for sure. Yeah, under, understood. I uh, think under, that started later, though. It did, but it was on, yeah, like, was mostly... started an hour later, but it was still on, you know? Yeah. Anyways, it was fun. Uh, Frank Nilakina, by the way, Frankie Smokes, our boy, he is starting at point guard, and who would have thunk? Stuff that a guy we drafted to play point guard can play point guard. Crazy. Thank God. Crazy. Finally, stuff. someone dr- someone plays this point guard at point guard. Jesus yeah. Christ. I know it's really wild. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I said that before you were here on the pod, so I want to say that again. It, it just, who would have thought? You know, guy. Hornacek is on my shit guard. list. That guy just fucked up royally. Oh man. Anyways, John Lucas Duffy, Pete Kennedy here, Sports Blog New York podcast. Any last words? Shout out Frank. Miss you, buddy. Shout out Babs. Shout out NBA Outsiders. Shout out Sports Blog New York Podcast. Y'all have a great day.